Before spare. As you know, sir, these toilets are locked up at eight o'clock. I don't know, grunted Frost. I was peeing shop doorways. Anyway, sir, continued Shelby doggedly, I thought I'd better investigate. Frost snorted. <laughs> investigate what? Illicit peeing after hours? There's plenty of copper and lead pipe down there, Inspector, Shelby pointed out. It could have been after that. No. Sorry, son, Frost apologised. You're quite right. All right, carry on. Well, not much more to tell, sir. I went down and found this tramp sprawled on the floor. I'd seen him around the district, but I don't know his name. Frost pinched out his cigarette. All right, let's get inside before people think you're trying to pick me up. He followed Shelby's torch cautiously downwards while the plopping sound of dripping water grew louder. Do you know which police surgeon they're sending? Dr Sloman, sir. Sloman, exclaimed Frost. That snotty-nosed little bastard. He moved his foot down to the next step, only to give a startled yell as something cold and wet licked inside his shoe. Flaming hell, Shelby! It's a wash down here! You might have bloody warned me! Oh, it wasn't as bad as this before, said Shelby. The reflections from his torch beam danced in the rippling water which lapped at the bottom step. One of the cisterns is overflowing and the body's blocking the drain. Oh, this gets better and better, the inspector observed bitterly. So, where is he? Shelby swung his torch and illuminated a sodden shape huddled in one corner. They splashed over to the dead man. He lay on his back in the flooded guttering of the urinal stalls, his long matted hair bobbing in the rising water, sightless eyes staring. The mouth was agape and the beard and ragged overcoat filthy with vomit that stank of cheap wine. Frost stared at the tired, worn-out face, grimed and greasy with dirt. Good God! It's Ben Cornish! You know him, sir? Shelby asked. I know him, Frost replied grimly. And so would you bloody know him, Constable, if you spent more time on your job and less on looking for Crumpet? Shelby flushed. He believed his womanising was a well-kept secret, but nothing seemed to escape the seemingly unobservant Frost. He may look like a bloody old man, but he's not much older than you. He's been living rough ever since his family chucked him out a couple of years back. He started as a wino, then progressed to heroin. <laughs> Used to be a lovely kid. Cheeky little sod. Look at him now. He prodded the body with his foot. I suppose you haven't been through his pockets. Uh, not yet, the constable admitted. He's a bit messy. Well, he's not going to get any cleaner floating in pee, is he? Is there any way to stop this damn water rising? I feel like a passenger on the Titanic. Shelby paddled over to the far end of the fetid room. I think it's this one over here, sir. Don't give me a running commentary, son. Just fix it and see if you can't find a light switch. Shelby's torch pointed upward to a cast-iron cistern tank with water cascading over its sides. He reached up and plunged his hand inside, jiggled the ballcock, and suddenly the cistern cut off. There was a clatter of footsteps from the stairs, and a peevish voice inquired, "'Anyone down there?' Dr Sloman, a short, fat, self-important individual wearing a camel-haired overcoat, peered distastefully into the murk. Uh, Inspector Frost, 
I might have guessed. Somehow one associates you with places like this. His overcoat was unbuttoned, and beneath it Frost could see a smart evening suit. You needn't have got tarted up just to come down here, Doc. Any old suit would have done. Sloman smiled sourly. I was on my way to Inspector Harrison's retirement party. I hope this isn't going to take long. So do I, said Frost. Hold on a tick. We're trying to find the light switches. Uh, found them, announced Shelby, and the fly-speckled bulbs in the ceiling started a half-hearted battle against the darkness. Frost surveyed his surroundings. The filthy stained urinal stalls, the brown composition floor awash with discoloured water, the row of dark green painted lavatory doors with brass coin locks, one of which was newly splintered. Only my opinion, he commented, but I think it was more romantic with the lights off. He paddled over to the body. Here's your patient, Doc. I'd be obliged if you'd hurry up. I want to get to that party too. The police surgeon made no attempt to leave the bottom step. Even from here, I can see that the most likely cause of death is the obvious one. He choked on his own vomit. I have no intention of wading through that filth just to confirm what is self-evident. Surely you've enough gumption to move the body over to me without having to be told. And this is the bastard who insists on everything being done by the book, thought Frost. Aloud, he said, You take his arms, constable, I'll grab his legs. As they raised the body... The water began gurgling and swirling down the cleared drain. "'Will this do, Doc?' asked Frost, dumping the body at the bottom of the stairs. Nodding curtly, Solomon bent forward, looked at the face with disgust, then moved the head forward so he could examine the skull with probing fingers. Mm. "'As I thought, a head injury, but not the cause of death.' Sloman gave a delicate sniff. <laughs> Wine-laced with industrial alcohol. He drank himself senseless, fell, hit his head, then choked on his own vomit. Hospital post-mortem tomorrow will confirm my diagnosis. He consulted his watch. The party calls. I leave the tiding up to you. With a curt nod, he was off, up the stairs. I wish they were doing a post-mortem on you, you bastard, Frost muttered. He again looked round his unsavoury surroundings. Why was something nagging away? Why was that little bell in the back of his head ringing insistently, warning him something was wrong? He looked round again, slowly this time. But it was no good. Whatever it was, it wasn't going to show itself. Someone's going to have to break the news to his next akin, sir, Shelby muttered. Frost sighed. Why did he always fall for the nasty jobs? All right, Shelby, I'll do that. You wait here for the meat wagon. I don't want any late-night revellers peeing over the body. He trotted up the steps. Shelby, who wasn't going to be left alone with the body, following hard on his heels. The wind was still prowling the streets, and Frost took a deep breath. Doesn't fresh air have a funny smell? With a wave to the constable, he climbed with his squelching shoes back into his car. As he drove away, he realised he couldn't see the broken metal grill. It was down the stairs and out of sight from the road. Yet Shelby said he had spotted it from his car. It vaguely worried him. But there was probably a logical explanation which could wait, whereas the party couldn't. Sergeant Bill Wells, sad-faced and balding, 
raised his head to the ceiling where all the noise was coming from and bared his teeth in anger. That was where he should be, up there, enjoying himself, instead of stuck down here as station sergeant, trying to run the district with just a skeleton duty force, with one dead body already and the damn phone ringing non-stop. He was relieving his myriad grievances by yelling at young police constable Collier when the lobby doors parted to admit the straight-backed figure of police superintendent Mullet, commander of Denton Division. The superintendent, with glossy black hair and horn-rimmed glasses, was wearing his usual party gear, a grey suit with a blue and silver tie. Wells and Collier immediately stiffened to attention but were waved at ease. The thump of the disco from above made Mullet wince, but he put a brave face on it. After all, he was one of the lads tonight, like it or not. They seem to be enjoying themselves up there, Sergeant Wells, he shouted over the din. <laughs> not too loud for you, is it? No, sir, lied Wells. Nice to hear people enjoying themselves. Mullet nodded his approval. He leaned across the desk to tell the sergeant his great news. The chief constable said he might look in, Sergeant. Ask one of your spare constables to keep an eye on the road outside. I haven't got any one spare, sir, cut in Wells. I've got only one constable to help run the entire station, he indicated young Collier. He'll do fine, beamed Mullet, who had no intention of getting involved in these minor staffing problems. The instant the chief constable's car turns that corner, I want to be told. I'll be upstairs with the lads. Wells glowered after him, speeding him on his way with a blast of mental abuse. He sent Collier outside and started logging the last call in the phone register. He became aware of an irritating tap, tap,